If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hey there, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited you chose to join us this week. This week, we are tackling what the first church was actually about. Radical inclusion, equality, movement of the spirit. We're going to dive into what Jesus described as a beautiful picture of the kind of life we should live and what this whole church movement should be about. We're going to dig into Paul. We're going to dig into all the parts of scripture that just completely describe this whole thing that we call our faith. And I cannot wait to just dig into all the things with you guys today. Now, before we dig into that, I have to say, I've mentioned this a while back and I haven't mentioned it for, um, I don't know, probably a couple weeks I haven't mentioned it, but I have my first Patreon supporter, and I just want to say I am really pumped about that. So I'm going to give a shout out to my dear, wonderful friends, George and Becca Darling, who have signed up to be my first Patreon supporter. Every month they are supporting this podcast, and I could not be more grateful. Now, after this episode airs, Becca and George will get an email. And it's going to have all my show notes from what I teach today and all of the things that I literally wrote down in my journal and was pulling from and all the verses and all the things. They're going to get all that. And if you want to be included in a fun email like that, all you got to do is become a Patreon supporter. So if that's something you're interested in, go check out my Patreon page. You can access it on my website, justajesusfollower.com. Click on the button Patreon, and it shows all the different levels of support that you can jump in and be a part of. And if you jump in at the any level, you will get this awesome email once a week. So thank you, Becca. Thank you, George. Super honored. And also, if you are not in our Facebook group, I would be delighted to hang out with you in there. I just this past week was chatting up about the lovely sex talk that I had with my kids. That's in the Facebook group. And I mean, we just have the most fun, deep, then light conversations back and forth. And it's just wonderful being in that group. So if you're not in it, we would love to see your face in there. You can opt in on my website, just to jesusfollower.com backslash podcast backslash podcast group. I think that's it for my little intro here. And without any further ado, let's dig into this topic. Here we go.
Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking all about the first church. And this is a loaded, loaded topic because, as I'm sure you have heard, as have I, that there's a lot of wrestling and arguing and tension inside of a lot of mainstream Christianity around this whole topic of, well, can't we just do it like they used to do it? Can't we just do it like the first church did it? We need to get back to that. We need to get back to the first church. So I'm kind of going to do a little spin on that whole idea of getting back to the first church because honestly, I think a lot of people just flippantly say those things without really having studied what the first church was actually all about. And I think you'll find that as we dig into this, that a lot of this is still relevant for today. You know, we've spent a lot of time on the podcast so far this season in deconstruction and rethinking and reimagining what God is like and what our relationship with scripture can be like. And, you know, we do a lot of unraveling and a lot of realizing that, okay, this, this Bible book was written by people in a different culture, in a different time period. And and that really does help alleviate a lot of tension and give us permission to, like Pete N said last week, reimagine what this God has been about, because that's what they were doing inside of scripture themselves. And we are invited into that same dialogue, that same idea of reimagining and rethinking and questioning, quite honestly, a lot of the things that are still mysterious to us. So there is that, and there is a proper place for that. But there is also so much inside the Bible that's still very relevant. And and that's what I'm going to tackle today is, okay, this idea of getting back to the first church. Quite honestly, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is very relevant, very timely to what we are finding ourselves in tense situations tense conversations, and even maybe internally wrestling with. So diving right in, what was the first church all about? And and I couldn't have titled this better, Radical Inclusion, Equality, and Movement of the Spirit. I mean, doesn't that sound relevant? Doesn't that sound like captivating and make you just go, oh my gosh, that's what we need right now, right? So we're going to start actually with a parable, which I find quite fitting. And this is a parable I'm sure you will recognize from Jesus. And this is found in Luke chapter 10, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And and it starts in verse 25. I'm not going to read the whole parable. I know a lot of you guys know the gist of it, but the setup of this parable, this story that Jesus tells is of course, a smart guy asking him a rather smart question. This guy who approached him was none other than a lawyer. And again, when you think about a lawyer, let, let's just let's just start with the with the job title, the way this guy thinks and operates, because I think that alone is timely and important and relevant. He's a guy who's obsessed with the law. He's a guy that's obsessed with rules. He's a guy that he thinks in terms of what is legal and what is not legal. So let's just start with that framework. I don't don't know of any better person to pose this question and, of course, any better answer for Jesus to give than the story he tells. So thinking of that framework, thinking of that 
uh, mind frame that this person approaches Jesus with. He asks Jesus the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, the age old question, right? He's just hitting it right out of the gate. And Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Okay, I could unpack so much of that. And you will notice all throughout uh, the documents that we read about the life of Jesus and the way he interacted with people, he often responds to questions with questions. There is so much wisdom in that. But leaving that caveat aside, he asks the man, well, how do you read it? The man answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And... Love your neighbor as yourself. So he knew instinctively this is what the law would say to do. Jesus answers, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Simple enough, right? Totally simple enough. So much can be wrapped up in that. And I could stop the podcast now and say this is what the first church was trying to be founded on. Love God and love other people like you love yourself. We could revolutionize the world if we all embraced that mindset. But people don't always think that simply. Like the lawyer, like many people inside of faith communities and inside of the church for years have said, well, I think in terms of the law, I think in terms of what is right and what is wrong, what is legal and what is not as legal. So that answer is just way too vague for me. So he follows up with this question to Jesus. Well, Who's my neighbor? Ah, what a good question. This is where Jesus enters into this story. And the important part of this story is so much about being neighborly. Who is your neighbor? Who are the people that you label as other? Who are the people that you label as out instead of in? Who are the people that you would say are worthy of certain rewards, certain honors, certain rights? Mm-hmm. Jesus tells the story of a man traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And we know the story goes, he falls into the hands of robbers and they beat him and they leave him for dead. It says a priest and a Levite pass him by. But a Samaritan stops, tends to him, cares for him feeds him, clothes him, gets him a place to stay, gets him well again, right? And you got to remember this lawyer, this man who's asking this question of Jesus, Samaritans were out. Samaritans were not covered under any of the good stuff. They were the other. They were the not welcome here. They were the nothing good comes from those people. Levites, priests, well, I mean, they were the good guys. They were the holy ones. They were the ones who all of the law benefited them. So for Jesus to tell the story, spinning it around in such a way where the Samaritan is the hero, well, that's just turning the whole thing upside down. And at the end, of course, Jesus tells the story and then he asks the man, well, who do you think was the neighbor? Who do you think was this man's neighbor? Remember, this whole parable started with the question, well, who was my neighbor? And so Jesus tells the story and then he follows up with that question. Well, 
after I tell you this story, the Levite and the priest leave him for dead. The Samaritan tends to him. The other welcomes him. The other gives him what he needs and gets him well again. Who do you say is his neighbor? Who's showing neighborly kindness, mercy, and love? And the guy answers, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. It's like that word couldn't even, he couldn't even utter that word because that group was so repulsive to him and so outside of who should be the hero of the story. So I tell, why do I start this whole podcast with that parable? Well, I do it for a couple reasons. One, this is the person of Jesus which this whole church movement started from. It was from the guy that told stories like this in an environment like that. Remember, Jewish people in this time period, teachers of the law, followers of the law, they had very, very strict traditions, very strict guidelines, which we're going to get into a little bit of that later. So Jesus is this voice inviting them to think outside of their boundaries. And their whole religious upbringing had taught them anything but that. And so when I start thinking of the first church, I have to think about who this first church was about. It was about this right here. This Jesus character who is revolutionizing the idea of love, and as we'll see here in a minute, of inclusion, of equality, of movement of the Spirit. He's revolutionizing all of that. And so I I can't think of a better story in Scripture that sets the foundation, the framework for what this movement was about than the story of the Good Samaritan, because it causes us to stop and rethink everything we think about who is in and who is out. Everything we think about, well, they're disobeying. They're they're not obeying the law. So they don't get these rights. They don't get this and they don't get that. Jesus just does away with all of that. All of it in this story. Who you think is holy might not be the holiest one. Who you think is in or should be in might not be the one that you're going to need when times get hard. Who you think is out might actually be so much further inside the love of God. You know, Jesus just threw the whole game off. So I start with that story. Love God, love neighbor. And Jesus depicts what that looks like through the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay. Moving on to this whole idea of equality. Okay. So Radical inclusion, radical um, ways, new ways of thinking about people and equality. Now, you have to remember that when the first church took flight, if you will, and we've talked about this on the podcast, this culture was very, very, very um, structured in, in categories. So you had the men a few men, I might add, on top, making all the decisions, making all the rules, making all the choices. And then you had, of course, women with not much say, not much power. And we've talked about that before. And then you have slaves and foreigners, people like Samaritans. You've got, you've got all these categories of 
who is powerful, who has a voice, who has decision-making authority, and who doesn't. And so this is the culture that we're looking at, which I might add, we have not ventured too far from that. Now, some of you may just like totally freak out when I say that, but I mean, it's not that far back behind us that women were finally allowed to vote. It's not that far back in this country, in America's history, where we had slaves and we liked our slaves so much and the ability to own them so much that we had a whole freaking war over it. So before, you know, you just get all ruffled at, no, no, we're not like that. No, my friends, it's not that far back in our bloodlines that major, major things that resembled some of the ideas we're looking at today were in our story. And I know a lot of us want to want to believe we've progressed past so much of that, but I, I would, I would have a large argument to say, we still have a long way to go. Just in rewriting the way our minds think, our minds have been conditioned to think in these terms for so long that undoing that it takes time and it takes work, and and I believe that's a lot of what the first church was about. Again, I set the stage with the Jesus story of the Good Samaritan where he's throwing those paradigms off. And then we see here in Acts, in the book of Acts, of course, right? Now I have to set set the framework for this. So this is Paul writing. This is a letter, of course, a lot of Paul's letters we get to read. And this is during this whole movement, right, of, of the first church. And there were Gentiles that were now being included inside of this movement of Christianity, inside this Jesus movement. And that was a new idea because remember, Jews, Gentiles, right? Very, very separate groups. So Jews were in, Jews were holy, Jews were God's favorite ones. Gentiles were the rejects. They were not in, they were not God's favored ones. They, as far as Jews were concerned, Gentiles were like, nowhere near where God would have wanted them to be. Now, in this whole movement, Gentiles are now being included. So this is revolutionary. Just that alone is revolutionary. Okay. And so apparently some leaders of this church movement were trying to impose all of the Jewish traditions and cultures onto these Gentiles. They were trying to make them Jewish. Right? So the, it's like the Jews were saying, this is our faith. This is our way of thinking. And now if you want to be in our faith, you got to do it our way because our way is the right way. So you've got to make these decisions. You've got to do this. You've got to follow this law. You've got to follow this command. You've got to do this and this and this and this, which to them were how you were holy because their whole tradition had been this way. And Paul writes this letter to the Gentiles who were becoming very discouraged. Understandably so. I mean, how would you like it if you showed up in a group, in a faith community, so excited to be a part, and as soon as you get in there, they want to fix you and change you? Oh, wait a second. A lot of you guys know exactly what that feels like. (laughs) I know what that feels like, too. It's not fun. It's terrible. And... Like I said, we have not moved all that far past this way of thinking. Again, timely. 
very relevant to what many of our churches look like today. So this is Paul's letter. Oh, it's a good letter. He addresses this church, the Gentile church, and he tells them, as I love, this is in verse 28, he says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And then he lists a few things that he suggests that they do, such as abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Okay, you realize this is a minute list of rules compared to what they had been handed by these other leaders that were trying to fix them, change them, make them like Jews. But I love how Paul frames this with, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond these things. So he's practically saying, yeah, I know what the law says, but we have this other thing now called the spirit. So Paul's basically wrapping this whole thing up in this idea of spirit trumping the law, which again, this is revolutionary because now they have this movement of the spirit. And I love how Paul even says, like he just says, well, it seemed good. Like, he's not even saying, like, God told me so. How many times have you guys heard that? Like, someone say, well, God said, and so this is what I have to do. Like, Paul left room for so much flexibility in the way he framed this statement of, well, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not burden you. And even use that word, burden. And I just can't help but think Why have we missed this concept? This whole idea of of outsiders who don't know our traditions, who don't know our ways of always doing things, who don't know the law as we have always believed it, that we can't realize that there's a spirit that's greater than the law. There's a spirit now that's able to move us and shift us in new directions because the spirit is always moving. The spirit is always changing. The spirit is always breathing. And the spirit connects with people. It does not connect through rules and laws. And yet still to this day, there are so many of us that cling to this idea of rule book and who is in and who is out because it has always been this way and we cannot venture away. We don't stop to ask the spirit. We stop to ask written words on a page. And remember, our faith is not built on God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible or the Holy Law Book back in this culture's um, way of thinking. No, Father, God, Son, in Jesus, and the Spirit. And so Paul is just doing such a beautiful job of showing us that this is now how we think with the Spirit. We hold our theology loosely with flexibility, with the ability to move and flow as the Spirit leads.
because he's always doing something different. He's always doing something new. Look at the life of Jesus. He was always doing something different, doing something new, moving in ways outside of the confines of law. And so this phrase, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that. I love that. And I wish that that was an answer that people would be okay hearing. Well, why did you why did you include that person? Why are you allowing them to be in leadership? Why why is that group now okay to serve in church? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not burden them. <laughs> I'm, no, I am just hitting gold right now, aren't I? Gosh, that's so good. That is so good. We cannot underestimate the movement of the Spirit when you look at this first church. That was the bloodline. That was the pulse behind nearly all that they did. It wasn't about hellfire and brimstone. The first church wasn't about rebuking and condemning and shaming and forcing people into scared commitments because they would burn in hell if they don't. The first church was not about making people bend to what they believe is right for them. So much of the first church was about the spirit moving, what seemed good to the spirit. And I know, because I can hear some of you already saying, well, you know, you can't just let anybody go with the spirit. I mean, you have to have something to, to rake them in with and something to reel them in with and make sure that we don't just all go, go crazy. Okay, what if our law that we use to make sure we don't go crazy is the one Jesus suggested, love God and love neighbor? If the Spirit leads you, or if you're claiming the Spirit is leading you to do something that doesn't look like loving God and loving neighbor, then maybe that's when we reel them in. Maybe that's where we pause and go, ooh, maybe we're off here. St. Augustine had a beautiful quote, and I may not quote this perfectly, but he said, if your theology doesn't build up love of God and love of neighbor, maybe you have the wrong one. God, that's good. So the fear of everything going to hell and everything going crazy and chaotic, if we dare let go of our black and white law book in the way that we've always known it and always thought, what if the law we cling to is what Jesus clung to? Love God, love neighbor. What if that was our litmus test? What if that became the new standard of expectation that we burned people for not doing? Right? We burn people every day on social media. Good Lord. Well, they're an inclusive church now. So they just, I mean, they've just gone off the tracks. Well, she's a female pastor. Well, that that's just way against scripture. I mean, the list goes on and on right now of how many people are crucified online for following what they felt seemed good to them in the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes those people are loving God and loving neighbor really well. This is a whole paradigm shift. This is a whole perspective shift in how we view law and how we view theology, right? And it's so freeing. I I am sensitive to the fact that to many of you, this may feel scary because all of a sudden it doesn't feel black and white. All of a sudden it feels loosey-goosey and gray. And I want to encourage you that 
oftentimes when you feel that that fear, it's typically because you're someone who likes to know predictability. You're someone who likes things to be in control. Maybe you've had things in your life that felt so out of control. And that's why you cling to things like your faith, because it gives you a sense of peace in knowing that there is a right and there is wrong and there is a good and there is bad. And, and there are strict things I can do to make sure everything will turn out well. I get that. I'm a recovering control freak, for God's sake. I get it. But we can't make our decisions out of fear. Fear and love can't and don't coexist. So many things throughout the course of Christianity, throughout the course of the life of the Bible, have been done that have been so good. And equally, so many things have been done that are so bad and so damning and so horribly tragic. And I would argue that the good that has come from this faith, from the history of it, from the history of the Bible, are decisions used with it, like Paul, based in love, not based in fear, based in a sensitivity to the Spirit, the Spirit that pushes us to love God and love neighbor above anything else. That same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is the same spirit that dwelt in him when he gave up his life for his neighbors who were murdering him. That same spirit that healed the sick was the same spirit that moved him to to be humble and be a servant and become the least of these. That same spirit that moved him to cast out demons is the same spirit that moved him to have mercy and compassion on a woman who was being stoned for her sin. That spirit is powerful, but it gets, it gets um, suffocated, I think is the right word, when it is gripped tightly with fear and control. And when that happens, very, very little fruit that's any good ever comes out of it. You know, a lot of people have asked me, well, how did you, how did you change so much of your, you know, strict beliefs? How did you let go of so much of the, um, strict lines that you had always known and always grown up with and always believed in? And first of all, I say, well, you don't really know that I fully embraced all of that um, just because I wasn't speaking out against it. There was a lot of me that had problems with a lot of um, the behavior that I witnessed growing up in church. However, it was very easy for me to let go of so much of that garbage because there was not much good fruit coming out of it. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that. When I saw poor fruit, stinky, gross fruit coming out of decisions churches and leaders were making, it was easy for me to go, "Mm -mm, not my gig. I know the spirit and the spirit is good. And when I see good fruit, I recognize it. So that's where I will be. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and to us. God, that's good. Okay. 
landing the plane here on this last on this last point um and this goes back to this whole idea of equality and radical inclusion and this is paul again and he's speaking here in galatians 3 verse 28 he says there's neither jew nor gentile slave nor free nor male and female You are all one in Christ Jesus. And we have to remember the context again of this culture that they were in, a very, very loud culture where Jews and Gentiles were far from equal. Jews were in, Gentiles were out. This is a culture where slavery was very, very normal. This is a culture where men and women were not equal at all. This is a culture set up where one dominating party has the vote and the rest are just subject to it. And so when Paul makes a statement like there is now neither Jew nor Gentile, he's basically saying there is no other and you. There is no those on the outside and those on the inside. No, in Christ, we've done away with all of that nonsense. Guess what? You're now all equal, which is echoing so much of what Jesus said in his parable of the Good Samaritan. He's like, guess who's your neighbor? Guess who is in now? Guess who you may turn to when times get hard? Guess who is going to show you Christ-like love when times are hard? The other, the one that you are damning to hell. Yeah, the other. Guess what? They're equal with you now. This is a powerful statement Paul's making. There's no slave. There's no free. Guess what? You don't get to own people and get to look at them as less than. No, there, there's no rules now that say that you're better than anybody. Even if you purchased that person, which is what they used to do, and our country used to do not that far ago, you don't get to be better than them. There's no slave and free. Those titles no longer exist. There's no male or female. Men don't have more rights than women do. Women are not subpar in their ability to lead, to have a voice, to think, to question. No. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you know now, like when you hear that, when you hear that, Do you not just love this Jesus character? Like, does all of a sudden, like, this first church not seem so, like, powerful to what we need right now? What we need right now is what they needed back then. That's why Jesus just showing up changed and shook up and diversified so quickly the culture he was in. This is why they murdered him for, like, believing stuff like this. People weren't a fan of Paul saying this stuff either, I might add. Like, this stuff could get you killed. And I would argue that saying this stuff from a pulpit now could get you killed too, in a different way. Probably on the internet, probably (laughs) through negative comments on your blog and podcast. I've tasted a bit of that myself. Um, But guys, this is what the first church stood for. This is what the first church, this is what their movement was. They were about radical inclusion, equality, and a movement of the Spirit. I can't think 
of anything more that I would want to get behind than that. That is what has kept me glued to my faith. And my faith has been shaken, but I've never let go of it. I've gotten angry. I have set the Bible down for a while. I have questioned so much. I have deconstructed, reconstructed, unraveled, re-raveled any like abstract picture I can paint for you <laughs> as to what I've gone through in my faith. I, I could throw it in right now because I've been through it all. It's been ground to dust and it has risen again over and over again. Why? Because I know the Spirit. And when I read things like this, this resonates with me as truth. This is the truth I stand behind. This is why I keep doing the work I do. This is why after being removed from a church, I keep speaking. This is why I don't stop believing in the goodness of God. I just can't. It's because of this. I believe in this. I get behind this. I don't understand all of it. I don't know that I ever will. I think if I sat here and told you I understood it all, then I would not be talking about God because I'm pretty certain that God is a, a being we can't understand. Not fully. I understand that that God is love. And that's about all I can understand. That's about it. Anything else, I, if I tried to come up with any other phrase to describe all of it, I would be describing something other than God because God is not describable. That infinite being, I cannot put a label on or box up and package and present to you on a track. I can't. But what I can do is I can research this beautiful movement of Jesus, and I can tell you that I get behind all of that. Everything that I just talked about to you is what moves me to love God and love neighbor. It's what moves me to open my heart and my mind and stand up for the persecuted, stand up for the marginalized, be a voice for those that don't have one, open my home to the people my church would just freak out about, not my church currently, previous church, write blogs that get me in trouble online a lot and keep doing this thing called love. This is why. This is why. And I think I'm going to use Paul's words from now on when I get questioned about things. Why did you write that, Anna? Why did you say that? Well, it seemed good to the Spirit and to me. That's why. I don't claim to have all the answers, and I don't claim to get it right every single time. But you know what? It seemed good. <laughs> it seemed good. I love you guys. I hope this encouraged you. I hope this gave you... <sighs> just some breathing room inside of your faith and inside of what um, what this whole Christianity thing that we have found ourselves in is actually about, at least what it started out being about. I love you. I love your story. And, and I'm here for you in any way that I can be to encourage you to breathe life into places that have been painful. I, I want to be that for you. Reach out to me anytime. I'm like to make myself pretty accessible. So um, find me, find me online, find me on my website and reach out and say, hey, I love you guys. And I will check in with you next week. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. 
You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.